Frank, what are you drinking? James, today I have, as I always have, the Bodhisattva, which I think has already made an appearance on this podcast. The Bodhi has made an appearance, and I will say I am um, I'm, I'm basically supporting right now the only basketball team in the Pacific Northwest, the um, Portland, Portland Trail Blazers, with the Deschutes Brewery Rip City Lager, which is pretty good. It's, pretty tasty. it's very tasty. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's an Oregon beer then, is that right? I do like the Oregon beers. Um, I will say, though, I'm not uh, I am a basketball fan uh, of anything from Cleveland because that's where I grew up. Well, I grew <laughs> up in the suburbs, but, you know, you, it's in and around the area. Um, however, you know, moving to Seattle, we, we don't have a, a sports team for basketball, which is sad. We had the Supersonics um, and, you know, for all the years, the nine plus years I lived in Seattle, I was very sad in which we don't have a basketball team. Yeah. Yeah. We had a, a women's basketball team. That was a pretty good one. And they were kind of like champs. Yeah. Yeah. They were good. I've seen them live. Very good. Uh, and we just got a hockey team. So that's cool. The I Kraken. The Kraken. Name. I don't approve of the name. <laughs> Kraken. You know, everything in Seattle is very, you know, Puget Sound themed, right? Uh, so... The, I know, Sounders didn't know FC. we had Kraken in RC, but I guess so. I don't know. Well, I I was always under the assumption that there is a mythical octopus that lives. Is it under the West Seattle Bridge or another bridge somewhere that is ginormous that would like come out? Like that was like mm. the rumor. No. Oh, I mean, sounds good. Uh, I don't know this rumor. Obviously, I don't have good enough friends to give me great rumors like that. What about me? Well, I guess I just received the rumor. I have heard that rumor, James. Oh, my God. such a good say. rumor uh, from a very trusted source. I heard that rumor. In fact, oh, perfect. Well, there you go. Now we know why weather the Kraken. Well, one day, while well, while we enjoy these brews, we need them because we have to answer questions from you, the listeners. It is episode two twenty one. That's right. Um, it's time <laughs> for lightning talks. We we got you know we got hijacked by a very very exciting Apple event that everyone should go and, and listen to and also watch uh, on YouTube as well. You can watch that. Um, but every 10 episodes or so, we do lightning talks. You can mail into the show, tweet at us, or Discord at us, and we will answer your questions. Sometimes we come up with our own topics, but this week, one, two, three, four of six are from you, our listeners. We had some exciting news, and we decided to break them down. How lightning talks work, lightning topics, topic talks. If I can, <laughs> I've only had one sip of the beer, so I'm not drunk. You're yet. doing Just, great, oof. man. You're, woo, you got oof. it. How lightning topics work is that each topic we attempt to summarize and break down in five minutes, and then we break it down. And in the middle, we have a beautiful sponsor break. So stay tuned for that because I am definitely excited. Frank, kick it off. I am kicking it off. I am going to be blunt, James, because there's no way to sugarcoat this. Swift on Windows. What a weird topic. So it wasn't, gosh, Swift still feels new to me, but I think they're up to like version 20 or 23 or something like that. Mm -hmm. That's a lie. It's not. Um, Swift has primarily been an Apple and Mac thing, though it has been open source for a while. And with open source comes the possibility for anything. And in this case, we are getting Swift on Windows to build user interfaces. How crazy the world has become. Dun, dun, dun. Yes, that is correct. A link to the blog on swift.org. But you are correct. Yeah, so these libraries 
um, or what, what actually the bundle here is compiler, standard library, and core libraries, including dispatch, foundation, and XC test. And um, the main goal of this is flexible interopt of Swift and C. So the very first question you had is that mm -hmm. one, they had a beautiful uh, calculator demo is how did they build this UI? I mean, I could kind of understand that you could run Swift in some fashion. We've run everything on Windows, right? right at some point. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and even you, you've, you've put C sharp in places that it's ridiculous that C sharp should even run. Right. And now C sharp really kind of does run everywhere uh, on iPads and the browser in the browser, right. Not just on the server, mm -hmm. but now of course, Swift can come over. And this is kind of cool because Swift is a very interesting language that I've, I've played around with you a lot more than me. But yeah, your first question is what is that beautiful UI? And Frank, what is that beautiful UI? It's Win32, baby. Um, I, this is right up my alley because I am a diehard Win32 programmer. It's how I learned how to write GUI apps, basically, on Windows, writing to that terrible, terrible C API. And this is doubly up my alley because I love getting languages to run places where they don't normally run <laughs> because there are opportunities there for interesting things. So you said it, uh, Dispatch and Foundation. Dispatch is kind of their threading library. Foundation is everything else, but string class, the collection classes, you know, the important stuff. And Swift has always been able to talk to C APIs. That was important to Apple because a lot of Apple's APIs are C APIs and Objective-C C could even be called from C. And so um, it's not too big of a surprise that they were able to interop with Win32 because Win32 is just yet another giant C library. Uh, but it's so cool to see these technologies come together like this. Now, James, the sad part is if you had asked me if this was possible, I would have said five years ago, I'm sure someone's already done it. So I'll be a little weird here and say, I'm a little surprised it took this long. Like, I guess th there just had to be an incentive for someone to build um, a GUI app with Swift. Where there's a will, there's a way. I mean, you know, Miguel was working on that um, terminal C sharp yeah. <laughs> UI that we interviewed him on. Where there's a will, there's a way. Um, yeah, you know, I think what's really cool here is that it, it enables Swift modules to be used. Um, you know, basically they said they got stuff working, everything except for AppKit and UIKit, which, which makes sense. You'd have to, you could port over the, the API, but you're not going to port the, the rendering engine probably. But, no. uh, I thought this was cool. You know, they're, they're showing off probably you could just use like VS code. You can use a command line. Um, you're using CMake. So, so you're, this is pretty low level. This, this to me is exciting um from a wow that's cool that you can do that but to me i'm like yeah i'm i'm a i'm i'm an ide person we all know this i like to install <laughs> i like to do the things i like the file new i like the guis i'm a gui person right um yeah but i, well, I, I also, like this yeah coming from a cross-platform api system <laughs> runtime we're, we're just used to being able to run on everything so it's not like, oh, it's magic that this is happening. But Swift is native code. They don't have an intermediate language. Well, they actually do, but they don't use it. And uh, so they're native. And that's why the tooling and all that gives you that very nice native -y experience where you have to use LLDB or GDB, you know, those old-fashioned debuggers. But, you know, if someone wants to, they can definitely uh, improve the VS Code extension and keep adding to it. But for me, just from a language person, I love to see more languages everywhere. 
I want to see everything available on every platform. Yeah, I think it's a two. I think it's it's good. You get options, and uh, I think it's really neat. Definitely give it a look. I'm really excited to see where it goes. Um, and you know, the funny part I'll make the final comment is someone was was you know tweet- tweeting, and I saw some stuff, and I, I thought they're like, oh, I don't have to learn anything else. And I was like, man, for ten years I've been able to run C sharp on every platform. You know, I, I just you know, as a, as a side joke, it is 2020, but I've been doing this for ten years, so. Uh, but it is exciting to see more languages come up and, you know, the other next, uh, you know, frontation, foundation, frontier, good mm-hmm. Lord, the next frontier <laughs> How's is, that drink going? <laughs> is, is putting it all in, in the, bra- in the web assembly. Right. So I'll be excited to see the next evolution there as more languages sort of feature parity each other, but let's get on to the next question. We got this written in, you can go to mergeconflict.fm and you can actually contact us via email and we read that. This is from William. He writes in and says, hey, James and Frank, um, I'm a mobile developer and I'm considering Xamarin for my next project. There's a lot of buzz around .NET 6 and MAUI and a bunch of other cool things that are happening. You know, what's the best way to go? And should I just, you know, create native UI? Should I go cross-platform with Xamarin Forms? Am I going to have to rewrite everything? Well, you know, is there a better way to create the project? Should I use Swift on Windows? I didn't ask that. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, what does it look like? You know, what, what should I do here? Um, I would, I would say from a, I'll give you this. I think Frank can maybe also chime in here too. There's technology that's changing all the time. There's always going to be a new version of something, right? Whether it's Swift or Node or, 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 you know, Electron or React Native or Xamarin or .NET. Um, there's always going to be new versions and a lot of companies, you know, will announce things a year out, maybe six months out, no matter what, I always like to say don't wait to start developing. There's no, there's no need to wait 18 months to start developing something today, especially when the thing is not going anywhere. Right? So for me, I'm going to be building and using all of all my applications with Xamarin forms because I, I like the toolkit, the performance, I like the tooling around it. Um, that's the stuff that I love to build with. And I'm a XAML person. You can also use C sharp or F sharp, of course. Um, but for me, you know, that's where I would start, you know, and based on your application, you're going to have different needs. But to me nowadays, almost everything can sort of be built in Xamarin forms or customized at the end of the day. And we've, we've talked about that on many pods in the past, but, you know, going into winter 2020, I like to say it's even more true than ever. Yeah. And definitely I want to second your, there's no reason to wait, that's always kind of a bad idea. Um, Work on the app, finish the app, get it out. As someone who is having trouble releasing an app, I highly encourage you not to delay like I have. Uh, But definitely, um, if you're debating between Maui and Xamarin Forms, just write your app in Xamarin Forms right now, because when you decide to adopt Maui, it's not going to be that much work. We went through um, a change like this in Xamarin iOS once, where we went from what's called the older classic API to the unified API. Mm. And that changed a lot of type names. It changed every namespace, literally every namespace changed. And so, but at, at the same time, it was for four hours to a day of work to port an app over because it's just grunt work of changing a bunch of names. Um, so I would definitely say if you want to get going, just 
just do it. Don't worry about the future. The future doesn't exist. Now exists. <laughs> Nothing else. <laughs> I, I agree with that. Yeah, that's how I always look at it. It exists now today. That's the thing I want to use. I'm not going to think about the fall far, far out when the far, far out is actually something I can install and play around with. But until that thing's GA, you know, and even after GA, I might have this, you know, I think the nice thing about Xamarin forms at this point is that it's been out for over six years. It's mature. It's stable. There's a great community around it. Um, and of course that will all come along with the next evolution, whatever that may be. Um, and, and that's important to know too, is like, you're not going to be losing things by by starting today. That's another thing to think yeah. about too. It's not like it's a whole new, completely different thing. 100% that it's, you know, you have to start over with, um, but you're there. I, I mean, well, I also like to say, try different things, right? I, I love Xamarin, yeah. but you know, maybe you love Kotlin or something that, that opportunity <laughs> to, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. William. Yeah. Maybe he loves I'd Kotlin. Know. Normally, I would defend native UIs here first and say something like, if you write in native UI, it'll, you'll never have to work on it again. But that's not true. <laughs> We're all doing like <laughs> iOS 13, 14 updates and things keep changing. You know, the way popover view controllers work keeps changing on every version of the OS, it seems. So yeah, the one big lesson is get used to change. Uh, just learn how to code so that you can change things as easily as possible. That's true. Literally, I upgraded. We'll talk about iOS 14 later. It's the very first thing I did is test my app, make sure everything was working good on iOS 14. And um, we got 30 seconds bonus question from William. Um, <laughs> he asked about app clips and our feelings on app clips, you know, if or if not Xamarin will support them. But uh, I don't actually know what our support policy is or what's what's going on there with that. But I haven't seen app clips in practice yet. We have iOS 14. Thoughts on app clips? A pandemic's a bad time to release a go out around and scan things with your phone <laughs> tool. <clears throat> but I have seen that uh, Xamarin's at least going to have embedding of app clips. Mm. Uh, so if you want to add app clips, you can make it up in um, uh, uh, whatever it's called, Xcode, and throw that into your app for now. Oh, love that. Love that. All right, next question, go. Oh, right. This one comes from Thomas, my neighbor. And he's asking for someone starting out new in .NET and they want to make like a web app because that's what you do. Uh, what do you do for a database access layer? And this one's this one kind of went straight to my heart because I've, I've done so much work with databases in the past. And I kind of I kind of am always thinking about ORMs, object relational mappers, whether I want to be or not. They're just there. I think it's like PTSD from being a web developer. Anyway, so I thought we could do like a fun little um, just roundabout of names, some of our uh, favorite ORMs, what we like about them. Um, I don't want this to be exclusionary. I'm so sorry if I don't name your ORM. The problem is there are so many of them, and I think that's kind of the issue. So uh, I'll, I'll kick it off with one uh, that I kind of love that I'm using right now. It's called Dapper, D-A-P-P-E-R. And it's from the good people over at Stack Overflow. It's your most bare bones, uh, pathetic ORM on the planet. But uh, I think I've talked about in past episodes. I absolutely love using it. James, do you have an ORM? Yeah. If you're going from the web side of things, it's going to be different from the mobile side of things. So maybe I'll switch it up later. But, uh, you know, I'm tried and true in the .NET space. I'm going to go with EF Core, baby. Oh, know. yeah. 
entity framework. Uh, it's been around for a long time. EF core, a lot of performance improvements. It's built in to the box. Things just work elegantly with them. Handles migrations. It, it can connect to any database that you want. If it's uh, Azure SQL or it's SQLite or it's something else. Uh, yeah, it's it's super nice. And uh, Jeremy and the team uh, that are they're working on it are super passionate about it. They have a entity framework stand up every other week on the .NET Foundation YouTube. A lot of cool stuff happening in that community. I never really got into web development too much, but when I talked to my, my wife, she's a web developer and she uses EF and EF Core a lot and really enjoys that. So that would be one, since it's in the box, mm -hmm. to look at since it's there. When you check a button, done. Yeah, absolutely. And that one's kind of like the Rolls Royce too, because it has so many features. You know, at, at first it was kind of small EF Core compared to the old EF but it's just been picking up more and more features. A little bit of a learning curve, I feel, with that one. But I want to give a shout out now to a classic in the .NET space, LLBL Gen Pro from Franz Whoa. Boma. Yeah, LBL Gen Pro. <laughs> it's got a it's got a long name, but it is one of the classic ORMs that has. If I called the other one a Rolls Royce, this is just like a house on wheels. Um, you know, you have data table designers, designers for this and that. He's a performance freak, a brilliant programmer. I follow him on Twitter and his code is awesome. So shout out for a really cool ORM, LLBL Gen Pro. Nice. All right. I'm going to go with a tried and true as well from a good, talented engineer. It's uh -oh. called SQLite-Net. It's a great ORM uh -oh. for all purpose for any single application, powered by SQL raw under the hood, SQLite raw. Um, yeah, SQLite-Net I've been using for over a decade at this point. Um, what library started as a file that you would copy from the internet has now morphed into a kind of gold standard in the mobile development space, at least for .NET. Uh, and it, deeply integrates and seamlessly integrates into at least mobile applications. But we have talked about it on this podcast before that <laughs> you can use it for your websites too. Why not? Turns out it's a good little database that SQLite. <laughs> Talk about good programmers, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that, James. Ah, shout out to SQLite. We should have a bell for that one, like yeah. the Marco Bell. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to close off. I don't even know. Yeah. Okay. 30 seconds left. Uh, another old classic, just, uh, this one gets an honorary mention only because I haven't used it in forever, but I used to use it and hibernate. These mm. are the classic old, uh, ORMs. They're all good, honestly. So just pick the one that you like the most or, uh, pay for LBN, LLBL Gen Pro from Franz Boma to give him money. <laughs> there you go. Ah, well, with that, let's take a breather and thank our amazing sponsor this week, Raygun. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy application experience for your customers? I know I have. My applications are super buggy. And that's why I use Raygun application performance monitoring. All you have to do is plug this puppy in and it gives you the information you need at your fingertips to turn your buggy applications like mine into the next version that I just released with Raygun built in that are super awesome. Because Raygun has helped me find and fix errors and performance problems across my entire tech stack. It even gives me the analysis down to a single line of code that's causing the problems. Listen, all you got to do 
Let's go to Raygun.com and join thousands of customer-centric software teams that already use Raygun every single day to deliver flawless experiences for their customers. That's Raygun.com to start your free 14 trial today. And thanks to Raygun for sponsoring this week's pod. You know, every time Raygun advertises, you usually open by making fun of me, saying how buggy my apps are and how much I need them. So I appreciate you didn't do that this week, James. Thank you. You're welcome. Just wait until next week. All right, let's move along. Um, we got this one from um, one of our amazing listeners. You're all amazing, by the way, but from Sakib, um, who we absolutely love. He sort of bundled three different topics into one. Um, nice trick. Yeah. He was like, look at all these things. I'm going to call it, uh, what did I put in here? Keeping your code clean. What tools, hmm. what analysis, what, you know, how do you keep it organized, especially if you're working across teams or maybe even sharing that code on the internet and you would like some contributions to it, Frank? Well, I have been all over the place here because um, I started out absolutely despising the new Roslyn analyzers. I was like, get out of my code. I know what I'm doing here. Professional coder up in the house. Um, but then it found a bug once and I was like, darn it. And it found a couple others. And then I turned on null reference checking and a billion others. And so I was like, fine, I'm going to. OK, so my general rule is I hate coding against a clean standard because I think the standards can never be comprehensive enough to cover all cases. And so I find that they're stupid and obeying stupid rules is stupid itself. That said, nowadays <laughs> I have um, come to terms with my enemy. So through a variety of editor config things, through a variety of uh global suppressions.cs have you seen that file mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. uh through through those two mechanisms i have been able to tame the beast to the point where i feel like it's only giving me valuable feedback and not just blasting me with stupid suggestions <laughs> yeah i i at this point have a standard.net um editor config that i use it's the same one you use in xamarin essentials that sort of morphed over time. And and what I do is I just sort of copy and paste that editor config everywhere. That has been the the one thing that I really enjoy because um, it really helps when people contribute code. When they open the project, it puts the project in the right settings, you know, in Visual Studio and VS for Mac. Um, when, you know, if you want to use VAR, it gives them the squiggles, it lets them know, you can kind of control that. I think as an open source maintainer, it's very little work, right? It's just this file, your settings, your customization. You do it once and then you you move it around um, to all your different projects. So I think as an, not only an open source maintainer, but just as someone that works on code often, I really enjoy that. Um, and especially bringing it to older projects. And now with Visual Studio, you can right click and have it you know fix all your problems across your entire solution based on these <laughs> editor config uh, areas. So to me, that is the real hero. Um, in Xamarin Essentials, we use uh, both editor config and style comp. I want to be 100% um, sure. Let me bust it open here. Uh, yeah. I think we do that because they just offer a few different different things, like some naming things. And, and also, style comp can really just mark everything as... as uh, 
as a error, you know what I mean? And can, mm-hmm. and can really spice up some additional things on top of the editor config. So I'm pretty sure we use that there um, as yeah. well. Yeah, there have been a lot of tools in the past, StyleCop, FXCop, and a million uh, third-party tools that you could buy. My biggest problem was that their default settings, because they want to show off how fancy they are, is to just blast you with inanity. So uh, one that I absolutely hate is like you have an if that has a result in the body. They're like, you could invert this if and use the... Uh, the question mark operator, you know, and you're like, no, that code is much uglier. I prefer my code to look this way. And so I think it's just when it gets into um, those kinds of things that I, I I tend to turn them off. And that's where in the global suppressions file, you can use attributes to within that project or within that assembly, I guess, uh, turn off those certain things. So it's interesting what things are available in editor config and what things are available as attributes uh to the analyzers nowadays so it's getting a little annoying having to look things up but from what i've heard <laughs> in dotnet 5 we're getting even more analyzers wow, so nice. maybe it's more of those style cops i i okay so sorry i know i'm going long but i don't like the style stuff but i like the analysis stuff mm. so i keep trying to turn off the style stuff and let me tell me informative things about my code yeah, and like I said, I think that the the editor config is is a nice balance in general. Uh, it's hard for me as a big library, you know, cr- you know, creator with Xamarin Essentials and working on the team. Since it's mobile, the, I'm going into our global suppressions, and like the biggest issue we have is that we always have like iOS, macOS, tvOS, or watchOS, and like we do it properly, which is lower casing iOS. Oh yeah, and it hates that. So we have a bunch of suppressions, in different files, which is super annoying. And sometimes knowing like what to do and how to get around it is a little annoying. But in general, like I said, editor config, that's my jam. It's just so good. Yeah. And and I like it. Um, I, I now have things tuned to the point where I can look in the right margin. And I generally want that to be empty where they put mm-hmm. a little tick mark for each little item. And it gives you that little endorphin hit that really means nothing to just see that thing <laughs> cleared up like yeah. that. I agree. I agree. All righty. Is that it? You got anything else for that? That's it. I'm good. All right. Well, let's go on to uh, my favorite topic of all of them is how do you feel about iOS 14? I I won't say how I feel about it so far, but what are we uh, a week into release a day into release? Time doesn't exist. It's hard to tell. We are almost a week into the release, uh, time of recording. Uh, I did update day one. Did you update with day one? Yes, I did. Uh, mostly because my iPad is stuck on beta one and I was praying that it would upgrade, but nope, beta one is still stuck on there. <laughs> oh no. I updated both watchOS 7 and iOS 14. Um, this was a very exciting release of iOS because um, bicycling, bike riding came to maps. And that's very exciting. That's the number one feature. No, I mean, that is a great feature, <laughs> um, to be honest with you, that Google Maps has had forever. Um, my biggest thing with iOS 14 is I feel as though, one, it's a solid release. I haven't had any issues yet, uh, from my apps at least. I have really enjoyed the cleanliness of the operating system by introducing the app library and by introducing smart widgets. Um, I have... Now one home screen and that's it. Just one home <laughs> screen 
which is um, my fitness activity up top, eight apps that I like, the weather at the bottom, and then four more apps, which are like my default on the bottom. I have phone, messages, camera, browser, basically four apps that I can't live without. And then everything else is in the app library. And I basically ignore all of it most of the time. (laughs) And, And I use it very similar to um, search, right. But like, I can often, I often now know where things are at. Like, oh, I know Robin hood is right here. And I go to town there instead of having like an endless list of scrolling apps in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, those are like the biggest things. There's probably tons of stuff in iOS that I'm really missing out on, but widgets are good. Every app doesn't support them yet. Um, <laughs> yeah. and the app library makes it a little bit more Androidy, and it's good. Notifications still suck. You know, it's funny because I think my home screen has become more cluttered now. I had refined my home screen down to like five apps and then everything else was shoved into a folder Mm. because it turns out I find everything by search nowadays. It's just so much faster. You pull down and you start typing whatever you want. And the Siri automatic picker is usually pretty good these days. Yeah, yeah. So with the introduction of widgets, my screen's just gotten more cluttered because I just started throwing a bunch of widgets on. But uh, I think I've I think I've limited myself to just one or two widgets. I've got the Apple random one that just shows you random stuff. I don't <laughs> know what its purpose is, but sometimes it shows you photos, and I like it when it does that. Yeah. And then I keep uh, my steps, my step counter on because that's just fun to be able to have your steps right on the screen like that so for years app developers we've wanted to be able to put data on the home screen we finally can so i guess i'm for it but as an app developer i'm also sad that we still don't have any interactive elements but as an apple user at least it's something (laughs) yeah it's true i sort of think of them as replacing the app icon you have a weather you know desktop you know, basically icon and, and fitness. Now I no longer have them. So I can just always see the weather and hop into it. Uh, I, I am in like with a lot of the animations that they did that kind of pop in and out. Um, I like some of the new widgets for like battery statistics that are there. It's a high level glance. I, I appreciate um, overall, like I said, it, it feels pretty solid. Watch OS. I've had my watch crash a few times, which is sad. Oh no! Um, yeah. I did have a problem with watch OS, which is uh, it only, you know, I have a series three, which only has eight gigs of storage. And then the update required 3.1, 3.1 gigs of storage. And on my watch, it said I had 2.5 gigs available be, out of eight, five, <laughs> even though eight's <laughs> available, obviously three are reserved. So and I, it's brand new. So I don't have, I don't have anything. In fact, I've uninstalled things. I don't have, I don't install any apps. Everything's off. So I went through and I deleted all of the apps that I could re-download from the app store. And then I had three gigs open. I was like, oh my goodness. And then I did something, Frank, which is silly, but I restarted my Apple Watch. I restarted it. And magically, a gig opened up. Just magically, <laughs> a gig opened up because it caches tons of stuff, obviously, on the file system um, and swapping stuff out. So if you're, yeah. if you're like, I can't upgrade, that's how you upgrade. The, the thing is... With watchOS 7, with a Series 3, you really don't get much. You get sleep tracking, which is relatively subpar sleep tracking. There's not a lot of statistics or whatever on there. The wa- the hand washing, you don't get. That's only on Series 4. 
Um, and there's something else that I thought I was going to get, but I don't. Oh, the mm. the voice, like the loud noise around you, only series four. Mm. And um, the only the reason I want to upgrade is for Fitness Plus, which requires WatchOS 7 later this fall when I'll be um, <laughs> act, 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 activating that um, 30-day trial. That's for sure if there is one. So, See, it's really tough being a fanboy. It's expensive. It, it it drains your psyche. You you really got to think about that stuff. But I I love that the classic turn it off and turn it on again works for you. <laughs> it worked. You know, <laughs> technology it's never going to improve. That's always going to be the solution to everything. Uh, but just to finish things off, um, I I don't have your feelings on the watch yet because I don't want to do anything with my watch. But I do like the new uh, notification bubbles on the phone phone. They're much mm. more out of the way nowadays. And I really like the clipboard copy one because then you can tell when you actually pasted successfully, honestly. That's true. Also, iMessage, a lot better. Is it? It's always just message. You know, okay, no. There's one thing I hate about it. They have this new feature where you can pin your friends. <gasps> Amazing. It's the worst because then it hides the thread from that friend. It does. That is the words. It pops up a little bubble on top of it. Although you are pinned on my little screen, buddy. Oh, I'm pinned. That's wonderful. So you'll never see my messages. I had That's to unpin correct. people because I kept missing their messages. Yeah, it's kind of it takes a while to get used to it. it kind of like bubbles up something on top of them. But yeah, that is a weird one. That is for sure. But I like it. Yeah, yeah. I, I I might give it a try again, but I. It, it just messes up with my flow because my flow is uh, someone sends me a message and then two weeks later I respond. So like I, I, I need that message to stay up there. Yeah, well, I guess you need to not pin people then. Problem solved. I got no friends. Got no friends. All right, last one coming in from Martin. This is a very long email, but I will open up. And he said, this contact form is for fan mail. I'm a fan, so I'm supposed to mail, right? So here's the mail. Um, this is a longer thread. Uh, Martin lives out in Slovakia and he was writing in specifically about, Hey, you know, uh, as my side gig, uh, in my spare time, I'm an app developer. So I'm my main income. Um, but you know, I'm trying to get different contracts, kind of feel in and out. And I always go through different, you know, um, app processes with clients. And then they always say, well, how much will that cost? And then it's sort of a sticking point. You know, there's not an industry standard for, and not only just app development, but for any development, um, you know, and he's a little bit worried that it won't be enough. And will we ever be able to make that the full-time gig? Um, the funny part here is that he does say it's even harder to, to understand what to charge if it's for family and friends. Frank, how do you feel about family and friend app development? I have so much to say about this, but I, I want you to finish, but uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't do friends and family. That's, that's the key for any development, not just no. app development. Um, but that was it. You know, he's asked around, did a lot of stuff. Did we have any insight or personal opinion on salary of independent developers? And I guess salary is uh, a little bit of a, you know, I guess just what app development yeah. should cost. No, this one, this one, we could do a whole uh, multi-episode arc on this question. So this is a fantastic question. This is obviously a very important topic. Can't do justice to it in five minutes. I won't even pretend to. But I will say that your your struggle is shared by all of us. <laughs> uh, any independent developer is facing these same problems. Yes, let me start by saying um, 
you can't work with friends and family. It just never really works out. Uh, one, you don't charge them enough. Two, you spend way too much time on it. Three, it can damage relationships and things like that. So for the longest time in my business, I've always had a pretty strict no friends, no family involved in the business side of it, which, you know, uh, pros and cons to all of that. But from the side of um, picking prices for things, at some point, you just have to decide, um, is am I going to be a professional about this or is it going to stay a side gig? If you want to be professional about it, you have to be a little greedy, unfortunately, Um I'll stop there, but I want to talk about pricing too. What do you, what do you think about that? It's definitely hard. You know, like I said, it's not my side gig. I create apps in my spare time for myself, but I also struggle with this too. We taught, we did entire episodes on pricing Island tracker on maybe switching it to in-app purchases and to maintaining that and to maintaining the back end. Uh, And that's a struggle, right? I think that even for me, that is putting a lot of time and a lot of energy into doing that. Um, I struggle with, well, what is my time worth at the end of the day? I used to have an old, an older company I worked for came back to me later on. They said, Hey, we, we really want you to like update this, this project that you'd worked on, blah, blah, blah. And I, I gave them a very large number because my time was worth it. And I said, you know, my mm-hmm. time right now, this is what it's for me to put in this time and energy, which would be away from my nights grinding on this and my side time and my weekends it is worth X amount. It was a, it was a ridiculous amount of money, um, per hour. But to me, it was, this is what my time at this point in my life for this project is worth. I think that's another thing too, is for this project. Like, are you passionate? Do you want to do it? Like, is there some revenue share that you can get? Is there, are you part of the business? Are you just someone writing code? You know, is it worth it for that? And they came back and they said, no. And then I, I was okay with that because, if they, if they, I knew that if they gave me the money, I wasn't going to be happy about, I wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to be ecstatic about doing it. Right. Um, and, and, and so I kind of set my price high because of that, and that I really didn't want to do it at the end of the day. Uh, and that turned out okay for me. Now, would I have done it? Would I would have been, it would have been fun. I would have done it, but it was in my point in life, which was that it wasn't my main gig, right? If it was my main gig, I would have negotiated back and forth. I always think, it's better to start a little bit higher than to under undersell yourself, but whatever you think it's worth. And the more you do it, I think the more you'll kind of figure it out, but this is all independent. Um, not even just independent, but small business, any marketing, any, any business at all. What are you going to charge for your product? We should have our friends, uh, Christina and Michael on who do a lot of my branding and they have their own design studio. They quit their main gig to start their own studio and I'd be fascinated to get some input from them, like how they look at it from a design perspective, which is also a competitive market too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go off on a few topics on this though. <laughs> um, one good thing that you should probably do is figure out what your personal budget is. Like how much does your life cost? How much are you paying in rent? How much are you paying for food? And don't be conservative. Like really be honest with yourself. Just, you know, average up all your bank statements and figure out how much you actually spend. Because then you know your target for actually sustaining yourself. And that's a good place to start. Uh, When it comes to um, contracts, a lot of a lot of contract work is privilege work. So it's um, 
you're either getting a good deal with these people because you have a good relationship with them and they want to pay you well, or it's a new contract and they want minimum money, minimum time. It's unfortunately that most people want programmers to be like car mechanics. They just want a time estimate and an hourly rate and a bill for that. But as we know, it doesn't work that way. Software can be tricky sometimes. Sometimes it can go well, sometimes it can go long. So as a contractor, you have to find ways to um, not pad your invoices, but yeah, pad your invoices. You have to understand that um, you're going to estimate three months, but it could take six months. So you got to charge for six months. That's as simple as it gets there. But if you haven't built up relationships and that kind of stuff, it's 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 hard. It's it's hard to ask for that kind of money. So you have to, in the early days, to survive, you take what you can get. And all that you can hope for in those cases is that word of mouth builds and that your skills build and that they're not undercutting you, that you can pay that minimum uh, amount that you've figured before. And then my big suggestion would be when you're doing this contract work, stick with what you know, absolutely. Things that, technologies that you know inside and out. Contract work is not an opportunity to learn something new, though often when you get to the more privileged positions, it will be. You'll be paid a lot and you'll be learning something. That'll be fantastic. But in the early days, no, you're going to be being paid small amounts. So you got to pick a technology and get really good at that. And when you get good at that, then you might be able to start estimating your time better. Then you can start making more accurate, um, uh, whatever, proposals, invoices, whatever. You can talk to people on a more realistic basis, and you don't have to have that sinking feeling in your stomach. So it's a tough thing. It's a tough thing. Um, You're a merchant, and you are a a slave to the market, unfortunately. Um, so the best that you can do is be realistic with yourself, set your expectations correctly, and get good at what you do. And don't goof around. Go goof around with friends and family. If it's a professional gig, it's got to be a career. You've got to do it differently. There you go. I think that's going to wrap up this episode of Merge Conflict with that amazing advice from our good friend and resident in-house independent app developer extraordinaire. Frank Kruger. Listen, if you have feedback, maybe you are also an independent developer, had the same struggles as Martin, send us a letter at mergeconflict.fm or go ahead and tweet at us or hit us up in Discord. That's going to do it for this week's Merge Conflict. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Kruger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.